welcome to the Saturday Night Style Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor Guerra. Marler, we're doing it. We're doing it. Fired up. This is, this is my, not a hot take, this is just truth that we're about to be spitting right here for an hour or two. We have talked about this subject many a time, whether it's been debates down south or it just meant more. For whatever reason, we always seem to want to ask the question, how many SEC teams would have beaten Notre Dame at the end of that 2012 season? Because there are several, several SEC teams who were really, really good yeah. and came just short of either playing for an SEC championship or playing for a national championship. And so we finally came together and said, you know what we should probably dig into is how many Shaming SEC on teams... Notre Dame. <laughs> That's what this is going to turn into. And, you know, if you're a fan of an SEC team that we aren't talking about today, I'm sorry. But maybe you can take solace in some good old-fashioned revisionist history of Notre Dame. Y'all would have beat him too. That's fine. We'll, we'll throw y'all in there. Uh, or at least would have been close. I, so this, I remember this actually came up because we did the first adjustment more we ever did was about the 2012 SEC championship game. And at the end of it, I remember saying, like, like, yeah, obviously Georgia would have beaten Notre Dame. And I was, like, somewhat trying to placate to the fans because I felt bad. Like, I don't try to always do that when I predict Georgia to win things, I promise. But, like, at this point, I felt bad because we had talked about this for, like, I don't know, this pa- very painful loss for at least an hour and a half. And then as soon as I said it, I, I realized, I was like, hold up, I wonder how many SEC teams would have beaten Notre Dame? Because we were looking at the schedule. I forgot that Florida was somehow... What was it eleven and one? Florida was eleven and one. Eleven and one, and then lost to Louisville in the Sugar Bowl. So Florida was obviously one loss away from being able to play for an SEC championship as well, and that's kind of like a little bit of the lost year of of yeah. the twenty tens in, in a way. Will Muschamp. Yeah, I mean, we don't think of Will Muschamp as as leading that great of a season for Florida, and obviously that team had its issues. And the way that things went down a couple of years later, not great. But this 2012 season, Florida was very much part of this conversation. And they are one of several teams that we need to talk about today in relation to beating Notre Dame at the end of 2012. Now, you might hear that at the top. And if you are listening to us and you're not an SEC fan, great. Happy to have you. Very surprised yeah, that you're here. You but that. thank you. Um, the thing is, with that Notre Dame team and the way it lost to the national championship, it made us rethink a lot because it was not just that they lost to Alabama in the title game, a team that obviously everybody was was talking about throughout the regular season. They have this 12-0 regular season. They fall all the way to team number four. Yeah, I mean, they, they fall all the way to number four in the AP poll after the national championship, which isn't that common of a thing for a national yeah. runner-up. Um, but when you lose... By, by 28 points, and I don't even think it was that close, if we're being honest. It, so I want to take you guys back to the, this game because it is, it, it, it's one of my favorite games in, in the history of Alabama football. It, like it, the, walk, the walk into the, the, what is it, like the Nissan like, pregame buildup or whatever it is they have, like the 15 minutes before they actually kick the game, kick the game off on ABC – there was a moment, and it was hands down, I'm, I'm not exaggerating or embellishing anything like this, it's my favorite moment of the Nick Saban era besides the Lane Kiffin thing, and it's really not close. It, 
so Manti Teo is coming. Well, before Manti Teo comes out of the tunnel, Bama's coming out because they're going on the field first. They're the away team. They're in all white. Notre Dame is lined up, right, right next to the entrance because they all have to come out of the same entrance. And they're staring, like, you know, trying to do this whole intimidating thing, looking at Bama. And I'm looking at Bama's players, and they're like monsters compared to the size of these Notre Dame players. And I remember I was like, we're, we're going to kill these people. We're going to kill these people. And the very last person to come out of the tunnel was Blake Sims, the backup quarterback, who went by and gave the suck it sign to every single player on the way out of the tunnel. And I was like, oh! So then they pan, like Notre Dame comes out of the tunnel, and, and they, they have this, they could not get the camera closer to Manti Teo's face. And he's just like beating his chest, he's like, oh! like doing the whole pregame, like hyped up, all that stuff. And we had heard for 12 weeks how he was maybe the best player in America. And then roughly 38 seconds later, they got their asses handed to him, and it was over within five minutes. It was amazing. It was amazing. Unfortunately for you, we're not going to discuss why Alabama could have beaten Notre Dame because we saw that. We got to see that in January. But there are certain things about Alabama and the DNA in which that team, the DNA that that team had and why it can pertain to some of these other SEC teams and how they would have theoretically matched up against Notre Dame. Now, it's worth, it's worth noting that we're talking about at the end of the 2012 season. We're not necessarily talking about all of these teams at full strength. That impacts a team like South Carolina, who obviously lost Marcus Lattimore to a very yeah. serious knee injury at the end of October. We can't just assume that Marcus Lattimore is healthy. So we're talking about if these be. teams, I know, too soon, way too soon. If these teams had been playing Notre Dame instead of Alabama in that national championship slot, and how would they have fared? So we have, um, and, and also worth noting with Notre Dame, 6-0 in games decided by single digits. They won seven games by scoring 22 points or less. Oh, um, these are all my numbers that I was going to bring up. Uh, yeah, I mean, they were, they were going to get Connor. brought up uh, inevitably. Uh, and that, that is why we are sitting here having this conversation. And, oh, by the way, Notre Dame beat one team, Stanford, who finished in the top 14 of the AP poll. Now, why well, do I say this? All of my three? notes, Connor. This is, I, this is. I'm sorry. You knew I was going to get there. I have six. I have six and a half pages of notes here. You didn't think I was going to get to that. I have nothing to say for the rest of the show. So just go on. All right. This is a solo show from here on out. Why do I say the top 14? That seems very specific. Well, the SEC had six teams finish in the top 14 there of the AP poll. They had three in the top five. They had five in the top nine, and seven overall. That's half the conference finished in the top 25. Now, is that good? That's pretty good. That's okay. pretty good. For a conference that won its seventh national title in as many years, yes, that is pretty good. We can say that. We're not going to break down Bama. I want to briefly hit on Vandy. What? I want to briefly hit on Vandy. Okay. Vandy was that number seven team that finished in the top 25 this year, this historic season that they had with James Franklin. I think Vandy... Did a lot of great things in the second half of the year to finish with a seven-game winning streak. Nobody's taking that away from Vandy. And I praise what, what James Franklin did at a place oh. like Vanderbilt that obviously, historically speaking, it's, it's rough. Obviously. Everybody knows about that. Here's the thing. Vandy beat zero teams that year who finished ranked, obviously, and only two who made bowls. James Franklin won one game against a ranked team in his entire three years in Nashville. Oh God, how that did you was find the Georgia time game. to fit in James Franklin slander 
into this podcast. Against teams who finished with double-digit wins, James Franklin was 0-9 to okay. this point. Oh. So, you know what? I think I think Vandy had, had a great year, but I'm not going to sit here and say that Vandy was going to be as good as Notre Dame on that given day, just because I think they struggled against elite competition. They lost by an average of 16 points in those games against teams that finished with double-digit wins. I I think the SEC would have had a lot of success against Notre Dame, but I'm not going to sit here and, and give Vandy the win. Is that fair? Yeah, I don't even know why we're talking about it. I don't think anybody was oh, okay. going to right. in there. I, I thought, um, you, were, I thought listen, you were going to. I, absolutely not. <laughs> so one thing I will say is there was when you we're not going to sit here and talk about the Bama game and how it was the greatest game of, that I've ever watched. Just because I hate Notre Dame, not because of that, that Bama team. Roughly the three game, minutes of this podcast has been Bama based. <laughs> they're one of the they're the team that played them. Um, no, but so there's this is important. This is from I remember this quote. Now we brought it up on the 2012 podcast, and and this is going to factor into why I think a lot of the teams that we're going to talk about today could have also beaten Notre Dame and probably beaten them like a drum. Uh, and that is, I remember right beforehand, I've told this story in here before, right before the game, Kirby Smart, Doug Nussmeyer, the OC at Bama at the time, uh, and Nick Saban have a meeting. And they, they sit down to go over like game planning and start you know, talking about what they're going to do for what they've mm-hmm. seen on film. And Nussmeyer kind of arrogantly says, like, like, how many points do y'all need? Because he's like, what? He's like, how many points do y'all need? Because like, they, they can do nothing to stop us. They have nothing for us. And they were like, okay, let's not get ahead of ourselves and, and, and be like this. Um, and he's like, no, like I've, I've watched the film, blah, blah, like I stood by it. And then we found out it was true. Why I think that's important is not because it was the BAM OC. It's because everyone else that we're going to talk about today, I, I think they had very, not similar talent necessarily, but they had a lot of talent around them as well. And I think they would have, Notre Dame would have struggled with all of them as well. That's the other thing that that I think is worth bringing up as it relates to Bama is, well, we saw Bama have down-to-the-wire games against LSU, A&M, and Georgia this year. So to all this, And those games were late in the year, too, might mm-hmm. I add. So then to turn around and beat Notre Dame like that, it makes us wonder, well, geez, what, what could those teams have done if they put up such a better fight against right. Alabama? And those games were neutral site, road game, and home game. So every variety. It wasn't like it was just Alabama on the road or something like that. So, yeah, there are five teams, in my opinion, that are worth really digging into. Number five, Georgia. Number five, A&M. People forget they were tied in the AP poll with Georgia. Number eight, South Carolina. Number nine, Florida. Number 14, LSU. Can we agree that that is, that is fair for yeah. the parameters of this debate? I'm t- so I hate your parameters. South Carolina would have 1,000% beaten Notre Dame, in my opinion, but we're not going to talk about that today. We are talking about South Carolina. They're, they're part of that group. I put South oh, Carolina in there. Oh, I Okay, fine. I have five teams. Oh, I have to see what I did. Cool. Yeah. I'm dumb. Counting, counting is hard. Counting is hard. <laughs> <laughs> to tell me, it's, oh, it's South Carolina, but we're not going to talk about them today. No, we will definitely talk about South Carolina today. They absolutely earned the right to be in that conversation. Before we get into all of that, Marler. Our friends at Bet Online. I think there's going to be basketball, but maybe there's not. There should be basketball. Um, yes, things are going great. I, uh, you know what? Let me start with a humble brag. Finished fourth last night in a 972-person tournament with a $20,000 prize pool. That went well. However, as soon as we started this show, right beforehand, as I'm trying to finish up the last game before we start the podcast, whatever. Yeah, yeah that's a pretty fair, pretty fair parameter for me to <laughs> set for you. 
I had I, I lost I had kings and I lost the pocket queens on the as soon as I got in the money. It was not not great, not great. Regardless, um, that's just only one sad story. Most of my stories about Bet Online are always happy. Okay, go over to Bet Online today. Set up an account with them today. Uh, we can bet on basketball. We can bet. We can bet on everything. You can bet on the election. The lines move this weekend. We're not going to talk about that, but the lines move. That so that was interesting. We still have Korean baseball. Uh, like Connor said, we're going to have bubble basketball, whatever that is. And I'm telling you right now, after what Commissioner Sankey said today about having 20 possible plans or scenarios they've they've gone through, we're going to have college football. So go bet on that as well. But do it all on BetOnline.ag today. I have a confession to make. Your bad luck? Something I've never told you? No, something worse than that. I don't think I've ever told you this. But I'm going to tell it to the audience because I, I, I want it out there. And... I don't want this to be perceived as biased or anything like that, but I need to explain explain my, my reasoning for this. Okay. Growing up, as I've said many a time, college football in my area of the country, suburbs of Chicago, I, I grew up going to Northwestern games. I thought they were high school games. Gross. They were they, they were. were awful. They they were terrible. I mean they were with the exception of the Rose Bowl season in ninety five, which we got really, really excited for, there was no other reason Darnell to watch. Audrey. Yeah, very, very good. Pat Fitzgerald, also pretty, pretty good. There was no other reason to watch college football in my area. I was three hours away from Illinois, who wasn't very good anyways. I was, as a kid, and this really didn't happen until I got into high school. When I got into high school, I was a Fairweather Notre Dame fan. And I was a Fairweather Notre Dame fan for this reason, mainly, mainly. Tommy Zivikowski, former (laughs) boxer, stud. Of course, that's his name. He is the pride and joy to my high school. Okay. Um, he, when he went to Notre Dame, it was a huge deal at a place where we don't get Division One football players at all. That is not is a thing. Is that the safety? Yes, he is the safety who was a the boxer. The white safety? Yes, yes. He was a punt returner as well. Played a very focal role in that bush-push game. Um, so everybody, like a lot of people at my high school, and if you were involved in the football program, you rooted for Tommy Zibikowski. You wanted to yeah. see him do well. It was cool to be able to flip on NBC on a given Saturday and watch mm-hmm. the guy from our area not only playing at Notre Dame, but like returning punts and becoming a household name in college Didn't football. Run over. Didn't run over Reggie Bush. No, he did not do that. So throughout high school, if like if Notre Dame got good, I found myself rooting for Notre Dame and watching them on a given Saturday. Now I did not have any sort of care for Notre Dame in college. I haven't had any care for Notre Dame or really any interest to watch them other than professionally since this 2012 season. This 2012 season when I'm, I'm living at home with, with my family, suburbs of Chicago, and doing some freelancing stuff and kind of in between you know, a, a point in my career, I watch Notre Dame almost every Saturday. And I, I, I found joy in, in watching that team because they were on. I had never really had, you know, I went, like I always say, I went to Indiana. I didn't have a college football team growing up per se. Yeah. So I found myself watching a lot of Notre Dame football. Now, I wasn't going to, I wasn't the person who was like going crazy for them or, but I do remember after the national championship played out nine days later when the Manti Teo stuff happened. I had like a full-on conversation with my parents about this that lasted over an hour with my brother just sitting at the dinner table talking about this because it was the, the type of story that because of how much time everyone had invested into Notre Dame that year, when it came out, it was just super, super bizarre. So I, my, my family had, had interest the in Notre Dame. The game was? No, 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 not the game. No, no. not the game. 
No, I'm just talking about talking about the Manti Teo stuff. But I want to get oh, this yeah. out there, and also the fact that my grandpa is a my grandpa's a lifelong Notre Dame fan. I mean, Irish Catholic, in, in the suburbs of Chicago, of course. That that's kind of par for the course. Yeah. I haven't I haven't really act I I've, I haven't actively rooted for Notre Dame since like Tommy Zivakowski and Jeff Samarge were there. But you know what? Back in 2012, I watched this team a lot, a lot, and it was the most I had ever watched a college football team on a weekly basis to that point. So I say that all because I'm not coming from a place of like, oh, I'm a Notre Dame fan. I think I've ripped on Notre Dame on this yeah. podcast a good amount. But I wanted to say that just because I think I have a little bit of a different perspective than you do of the Irish and what they were doing throughout this 2012 season because yeah. you saw you saw how it played out in the national championship and i was kind of there for every step of the way oh so yeah that's fair i mean and i'll, I'll tell you this i don't think i've ever said this on the podcast this is real embarrassing i don't even know how i've always just been a huge college football fan and oh my god like, you never said that ever so what my mom <laughs> when i was like in eighth grade or something like that we when we came into all that money or like that we didn't know we just you said hood rich, right we were hood rich i was yeah. hood rich uh so she was like, hey, I'm going to get you, we, I had bunk beds, and she was like, I'm going to get you new, like, you know, sheets, like, what do you, what do you want? I was like, oh, I'm going to get, I had these, like, old ratty baseball sheets, like, the very generic, like, here's every baseball team in the major leagues. I love and those, I, like, I had those too. Yeah, so I was like, I'm going to get a college football one, but I don't necessarily want to get the Bama one, because it was, it was real ugly. Like, it, I don't think they had it, like, in the, like, it was something on back order, maybe, I don't know. So I got... Notre Dame and Penn State. Whoa. So I had, and I had taken down the bunk beds and so one bed in my room and there's Bama stuff everywhere in the room and like Georgia Tech, whatever. One bed was Notre Dame, one bed was Penn State because I think I was like really big into Rudy maybe at the time. Um, yeah, so I, I had, I like, I didn't necessarily hate them as much then. It's just that, that passion for hating them has really grown as an adult. Um, and, you know, talking about this season, so... There's one game in particular, and this is when I, I guess we want to get into, like, when I knew they were a fraud. In my opinion, they were a fraud. Okay. So, when you talk about, like, I have so many notes about that national championship game. Um, <laughs> because I think it's important to realize, like, how the, the difference and, like, the disparities between what they did that season versus what happened to them in that game. Notre Dame went to the national championship game, game ranked number one in the nation's scoring defense, uh, gave up 10 points a game. They were seventh in, in yards per game, allowed... Hadn't allowed over 20 points in 11 of their 12 games. The only game they allowed, uh, or their most points they allowed all season was 26. And that was in three overtimes Triple to pit. Overtime, yeah. yeah, so, and that's going to come in very, very handy when we talk about this in a second. Um, they gave up over 14 plus points just twice. Just twice. Um, it, they were incredible. Like, they were there's a fantastic defense by all means. That's what we thought. Um, they had beaten four ranked teams. They beat two top 10 teams, both on the road. And they did so by an average of 12 points per game in all four of those wins. They had the eighth-ranked strength of schedule. They scored over 30 points just once, which also is going to come in handy when we talk about this argument. Um, and they had 20 points or less in five of their 12 total games. When I knew Notre Dame was a fraud, because by all means, if you, if you win four, you know, four games against ranked opponents, two in the top ten, both on the road, beating Oklahoma, beating who was the other one was Michigan State, um, beat Michigan State, I think, pretty handily, too. Michigan State didn't turn out to be as well. The Stanford win aged better than the Michigan State right. win, but at the time, yes. So th their resume, I mean, besides just being Notre Dame, their resume was, was legit. When I started watching Notre Dame around October when I had to start taking them seriously, I thought, 
Um, there was a there was a couple signs that I was like, there, this offense is not good. This, I mean, this is not good. Yeah. And the, on November 3rd, which was the day of the Bama LSU game, which is the 8 o'clock primetime game, Notre Dame was on a 3.30 in a triple overtime game against Purdue. And they got exposed, in my opinion, about how... Pitt, I mean, right? Pitt, Pitt, yeah. Single overtime um, against Purdue, wasn't it? Or that was no, overtime was against Stanford. Overtime against Stanford and then triple overtime against Pitt. Yeah. Okay. So they struggled to beat a Pitt team that went 6-7 and seven that season. They were, mm-hmm. they were not a good football team. Who's head coach? At the time, was it Narduzzi? Close. No cigar. Paul Christ. Go ahead. Okay. Um, regardless, they had uh, they had a very hard time putting away that team, and they were they were. I, I just I felt like they weren't good. I just felt like they were not a good team, mm-hmm. um, and it seemed like it was pretty obvious. Anyway, moving forward, when you look at the arguments between like what they allowed, or look at the numbers that they allowed. They gave up 300 yards only four times all season. And you look at this Bama game, I'm not going to harp on Bama and how great the game was. I'm saying this in comparison to what other teams would have done. They gave up 300 yards. I'm sorry, they, um, they gave up 318 yards in the first half to Alabama. They gave up, they only gained like 90 or something like that. They, they were held to 170 yards less than their season average in rushing. So they finally faced, I think, a good opponent and this is what happened to him. Like, it, and it wasn't just like, well, you know, we were, we were held in check. No, like, everything was completely shut down, offense and defense. There you go. Face a complete team. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I have this broken down into, so the, the five teams that, that we're going to talk about that I mentioned before, and two categories here for each team. What would have fared well against the Irish and what would have been a struggle against the Irish? So we're mm-hmm. trying to keep this relatively balanced and just to point out the strengths and weaknesses that each team would have had going into this game. Because it's easy to get swept up in looking at a record or if you mm-hmm. just want to compare how many ranked opponents they beat. There's other stuff to look at because, as people always say, football is a game of matchups. A lot of this stuff is matchup-based. Mm-hmm. Let's start with Georgia. What would have fared well against the Irish? That defense, man. Uh, we, we have talked about the 2013 team and how much talent they lost off that 2012 defense. Who oh boy. Jarvis Jones, Alex, Alec Ogletree, John Jenkins, Sean Williams. They had seven players drafted off of that defense the following year. Number 18 defense in the country had its fair share of mistakes. But here's the thing. Notre Dame, number 81 offense in the country, as you brought up before. How many top 30 defenses did Notre Dame face? A decent amount. But what do they do against them? Number one, Alabama. They scored 14 points. Number three, BYU. They scored 17 points. Number nine, Michigan State. They scored 20 points. Number 11, Stanford. They scored 20 points. Number 20, Michigan. They scored 13 points. Number 23, Pitt. They scored 29 points in three overtimes. There is no way the Irish are getting more than 20 points against Georgia. There's just no, no. way. It's, and that's going to be a consistent theme throughout this whole yeah. thing. Because yes, it will. They, again, they only scored 30 points or more in, in four games. In four games that season, one of them was against Navy. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think Georgia would have shut them down. And on the opposite side of that, and we don't have to talk about this part yet, then you look at the offense. Georgia also had a top 20 offense. That would have gone very well against Notre Dame. The Georgia defense specifically and what it was doing in the 2012 season, it, it found its groove really in the last eight games of the year. And they, I know they had the blowout loss against South Carolina. After that, though, Average 16.3 points per game allowed. I thought they were good in rewatching in rewatching that 2012 SEC championship. I thought they had a lot of moments where they were good. They couldn't cover Amari Cooper down the stretch. 
that obviously proved a little bit costly, just a little bit. But I thought they still had their moments in that game where you were reminded of the talent on the field. And if Notre Dame falls behind against that Georgia defense, oh boy, Notre Dame had the number 100 passing offense in the country. Ask Alabama what it's like. Well, well, or ask, ask Bama what it's like to be able to pin your ears back against that Notre Dame offense. Um, Todd Grantham would have sent everything in the kitchen sink at that Notre Dame offense yep. is immediately after they got ahead in that game. And if they weren't able to have any sort of balance, if they couldn't play off Theo Riddick and have somewhat of a balanced attack with Everett Golson, I think it would have been really, really difficult to try and throw the ball. I think they would have made some plays, maybe. Yeah. But still... That would have been an absolute struggle. There's no doubt in my mind. What would have been a struggle for Georgia against the Irish? Everybody knows. Every Georgia fan who's listening to this knows exactly what I'm going to say. It's Aaron Murray against elite teams. We know. It's the big-time game when you need him to be a special quarterback. You need him to be a game-changing guy. This year, in the three games that he had against teams who finished in the top 15, South Carolina, Florida, Bama, It was ugly. It was ugly. He had two absolute duds. The South Carolina game, he was awful. He was 11-31 for 109 yards and an interception. Florida, as we know, 12-24, buck 50, one TD pass and three interceptions. And against Bama, I'd say he was okay. I'd say he was okay in a game in which he completed 18-33 of passes, 265 yards, a TD, and INT. In those three games, completed 47% of his passes, Average 5.95 yards per attempt, two TDs, five interceptions. Against elite defenses, or elite right. teams rather, he just wasn't very good. And, you know, at this point in his career, he's still only 3-10 and 10 against ranked foes. He didn't have an Amari Cooper to stretch the field, say what you want about the play calling, but it still comes back to Aaron Murray was unproven against elite competition. I... I don't disagree with that statement. I do disagree with Notre Dame being an elite team. Okay. I, I think that, like, I know it's easy to look back and say, like, well, you know, what happened in the bowl game. You look at their entire body of work. Like, I know they had the four wins against ranked teams. What what did they do against, a te- like, all of these teams that played, like you said, played Bama really close. I, I don't think... I think that they kind of showed and exposed that this was not an elite team. This was not, I don't think they were, they were a top five team at all. I, I don't, they were a top 10 team for sure. They were not a top five team. Where I'd push back is that those are just top 15 teams that we're talking about here with, with Aaron Murray. And I understand that, right. that yes, they, they definitely, Notre Dame's defense definitely showed it was not quite number one in the country worthy or all that, but you're still talking about, there's, there's a mental aspect of this, of guys who get psyched up for big-time games. And that became a thing that followed Murray. And we saw in 2013 against LSU about how it just felt like it was a monkey off the back. For him to be yeah. able to get that win in that spot and what that meant for that kid because he knew it. And he heard about it the entire offseason, and it, it followed him. And it still follows him to this day. And I think it doesn't even necessarily matter so much all the time do they have the, the five-star talent to be able to line up with my guys, this, this, and this? It's, can I trust my quarterback to be mentally in the right place, or is he going to psych himself out for a big-time game? I think that's at least fair to bring up yeah. as we talk about Murray. Well, I, I'll, I will say this, too. If, if you're saying that Georgia's in the national championship game, that means they just had that big 
what would have been a come from behind victory against Bama, and I think True. something like that would probably would probably help and aid in in his confidence a lot. Good point. Good point. Also, Notre Dame sucked, so there's that. <laughs> Let's talk A&M. So, so Georgia, they would win, right? I'm going to get to that later. I'm going to get. Okay. To, I, I have final scores for all of these games, and I'll get to them later. Okay. A&M. What would have fared well against the Irish? Johnny Manziel being Johnny Manziel would have worked out pretty well, I think. Just taking a guess. After that LSU loss, as we've talked about, A&M averaged 46.2 points per game. They won at number one Alabama. That was the only time during that stretch in which they were held to less than 38 points, and that was a win on the road against number one Alabama. Four of those games were away from home. They finished with the number four offense in America. Who were the best offenses that Notre Dame faced? They did not face nearly as many elite offenses as they did elite defenses, which kind of tells the tale. They faced number 12, Alabama. They allowed 42 points. They faced number 16, Oklahoma, and only allowed number 13. But it's worth at least bringing up that that Oklahoma team that had a legit top 20 offense, A&M showed us in the Cotton Bowl that they could be shut down. And they totally shut them down, Landry Jones, in the outback or in the the Cotton Bowl rather. So Cotton Bowl. I I had never seen Manti Teo and that Notre Dame defense have to chase a quarterback like Johnny Manziel, and I'm not sure no. there was anything even remotely similar to Johnny Manziel in all of college football that would have been a fair comp. So yes, that A&M offense with Mike Evans and Ryan Swope and the 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 great guys that they had on the offensive line, Luke Jokel, Jake Matthews they probably would have had their fair share of success. So here's the thing, and I've said this repeatedly about A&M, possibly being the best team in the country towards the end of the season. Yep. In their last six games, okay, their last six games, you know how many points per game they averaged? I just said it, 46.2. That was the first note I brought up. Okay, I'm trying to, I'm just, you, you took all my notes in the first two minutes. Yes. And now I have nothing. It's like an Regardless, Easter egg hunt, so and I'm just they, getting all, all the eggs, all the golden eggs. When you look at the similar opponents as well, with who A&M played Oklahoma, like you said, in the Cotton Bowl, I, it, I know you don't want to have a whole, like, every other podcast we've done, we've said we don't want to have... The transitive this, property. Yeah, exactly. And now it's like, you know, we're, we're doing that here, which I feel kind of bad about, but at the same time, it's Notre Dame, so I don't care at all. <laughs> it, makes, it makes sense in... in in a couple spots. If you're using it to base your entire argument, it's not quite as good. But I, I do think that that's, that's worth bringing up because yeah. obviously that's Notre Dame's best win. That, that win out at Oklahoma. And I have more some more thoughts on that later. But all right, if saw A&M totally dominate them as well. Them. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you can sit here because then it's not like Notre Dame has the, the win the best win argument in their favor either. So Right, and and the fact that A&M was also able to hold that offense to only 13 points, which was similar to what yeah. uh, Notre Dame was able to do, I, I just I, I think you're spot on with that. And I, I think the biggest thing is, just from a tackling standpoint, and and I'm not just trying to say this, like, well, Bama ran over him. There was your boy, I, I thought about this earlier today. I was like, I don't remember who that white safety was, but he wanted no part of Eddie Lacy. And Tommy Zinkowski was not in yes. that game in 2012. He was what? Right there. Who, no. So whoever their white safety was, number nine, several times just came up with with nothing but air. And, and same with Manti Teo trying to tackle Bama's backs um, and honestly receivers as well. But I just from a physicality standpoint, which is what we thought Notre Dame was was like their you know identity from a def- mm-hmm. like from a defensive standpoint, um, it wasn't there. And I think trying to keep up with man, you got to think about too like. 
again, if A&M had somehow reeled off however many wins they needed at the end of the season to get there, how much confidence they had already going into the end of the season, and you got someone, you have your boy uh, Cliff on the sideline as well, and Manziel, they would have put up, they would have put up fifty. That's the one thing. One of the things I give pause to is actually Kingsbury wasn't on the sideline for the Cotton Bowl because he had accepted the Texas Tech head coaching job. So he wasn't the offensive coordinator that day, but they still scored 41 points against Oklahoma. Right. So I, I don't know how much that really factors into to the equation. What wouldn't have fared well against the Irish? Hear me out on this. This is a little bit weird. I'll admit that. The Manziel hype train was probably the only thing that could have outshined the Manti Teo hype train. True. Now, remember that we did not find out about the hoax until nine days after the national championship. I say we did not find out about that because Manti Teo knew about this for a month. And so when he finds out about this before the Heisman ceremony, and there's a, a great timeline that Paul Meyerberg of USA Today has, if you, if you want to look it up, if you're curious about it, he kept this thing kind of under wraps for about a month. Notre Dame hired a private investigator after Christmas to look into all of this to confirm that, oh, Manti Teo got a phone call from his his girlfriend who was supposed to be dead, and it was the sister, the, the sister, saying that she in fact wasn't dead and that the funeral that they had talked about in September and the season that he had dedicated to, that he'd lost his girlfriend and his grandma within a four-day stretch, it was He all, gave her a game a ball, Connor. He gave her a game, game ball after ball. a win. <laughs> this this though was such it was such a national story. The, just the story of his girlfriend where it was common knowledge for college football fans. I mean, like my mom knew about it. I mean, if that's if that's not telling you how big this thing was, I mean, it was very, very well known. And we remember it for for the hoax and what came out right. after the national championship. And so Here's, here's why I bring this up, because that was so much more interesting, the pre-hoax stuff, just the this Hawaiian hero is playing for Notre Dame, Notre Dame's going to maybe win its first national title since 1988. Notre Dame was so much more interesting at that time than Bama going for its third title in four years. And yeah. so all the attention is on Manti Teo and this Heisman runner-up season. The only thing that could have possibly been more worth like, hey, you know what, maybe we should go talk about this guy is what was happening with Johnny Manziel. And if Johnny Manziel is playing in a national championship like that, where it's mano a mano, Manti Teo versus yeah. Johnny Manziel, does that take some of the pressure off Manti Teo, who, by the way, as you have already brought up, was bad in the national championship, was not good, was I missing tackles. I think that tackles. adds more pressure. I mean, he's the, he's the heart and soul of that defense, and you saw him chasing around with that 4-7 speed around, all this, around Eddie Lacy's, I almost said fat A, but I mean, yeah, I mean, like he, he hadn't gained weight yet, and I'm not judging. But yeah, he would. I think it would have added more pressure. Do you remember? Do you remember the picture? I forgot who posted. It might be like in Sports Illustrated, but it, it, I remember it like very vividly of, of him and Manziel on the flight back, or like them leaving um, Awards Week and the Heisman thing, right? And Manti Teo was on this flight home, I guess, to Notre Dame, and he had every award with him, and it was taking up like two full, like like I don't know, maybe rows. He won or everything. Seats. He won everything. He won. He won like eight awards, right? He won like everything except the Heisman. Anyway, yeah. I think it would have added more pressure to him. I think he already had a lot of pressure on him because of his fake girlfriend that died, and that like, I I know that people get catfish, and that's sad. I'm just not gonna not laugh at it. I'm just not. It's. I mean, it's. I cannot believe this happened. 
You're a college it's, it's, athlete. You're the most decorated defensive player in the history of college football. You can't find a real girlfriend? It's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing to think about how all this went down. The 30 for 30 that, that is going to come out about it is going to be... I mean, that, that's got to be in the works. And I know they've already done the Catholics versus convicts, 30 for 30, but please, please, yeah. this, this, needs, this needs to happen. I hope what they do is they, they, build, they give like a huge build-up and promote like they're going to do it. And the day it's supposed to air, they find out that they weren't filming anything the whole time and it was all, it was all fake. No, I want the doc. We're spoiled now with these docs. So, the I know, doc. but okay. I don't care. That's not worth making a joke about. What do you think about this. A&M's last six games on offense? Um, okay, so that, that was I, I brought that up just to say that Manziel and this wild record-setting season possibly taking away some of the spotlights, maybe this then helps Notre Dame by virtue of their best player actually being able to focus a little bit better because we saw how bad Notre Dame was when he was average to subpar in that game against Alabama. And if that helps him out, I, I don't know. Okay. Do you want to bring up anything anything more about AM? We're gonna have more on them later, but is there anything you want to get to before we before we kind of make closing no. arguments on them later? No. Okay. South Carolina, a team that you didn't think that we were going to talk about, but we are. Number eight Gamecocks. What would have fared well against the Irish? They Jadavion rediscovered Clowney. their identity. Jadavion Clowney. Okay. Put him at running back. See what happens. I have I have some thoughts uh, some thoughts about Clowney that I know I'm going to get blowback on, but we'll get to, we'll get to in a minute here. Oh South Carolina had rediscovered their their identity after the Marcus Lattimore injury. He had that hip injury in between the LSU and Florida losses, if you remember. And then in late October, he goes down with that horrific knee injury against Tennessee. They finished five and zero, including that game after that. But they, they found their identity, and I say that because they won the turnover battle in all five games. They forced multiple turnovers in every single game. They averaged 34 points in the four Power 5 games that they played in that stretch. They did it with Connor Shaw, and they did it with Dylan Thompson on the offensive side of the ball. Both of those quarterbacks were playing, and they actually became primary runners. Like in the Outback Bowl, people forget. Yeah. Less, uh, not less. Uh, Steve Spurrier relied on his, on his tailbacks about his as little as possible. Like right. Kenny, Kenny Miles gets five carries for one yard in the Outback Bowl. That was the entirety of tailback production in the ground game that's in the Outback best. Bowl. And they, and they won that game, by the way. Um, so that stretch included wins at Clemson and then, of course, against Michigan with a clowny hit in the Outback Bowl. The defense got significantly better. I mean, they, they would still allow those big pass plays, but they could contain the ground game. Top 20 rushing offense. Clowney and Devin Taylor were excellent. Clowney in those final four games, as many people remember, nine and a half tackles for loss, five and a half sacks, three forced fumbles, and one very loud fumble recovery. Okay. Is there is there something else that I'm that I'm missing there with South Carolina that you just look at with that team and you say, you know what? Line them up with the Irish and they would have been totally fine. They beat Georgia 35 to 7. Like a drum. Like a drum. That's the night that guy threw that beer can at me. Um that, I mean, like, and I hate to harp on just that one win because I know they had their their shortcomings as well. And you know, I'm sorry, South Carolina fans. I I don't think that Connor Shaw was like the best quarterback in the world. He was a really good quarterback for that team during that time. He's South Carolina's, with all due respect, to our guy Stephen Garcia. He's South Carolina's best quarterback of the 21st yeah. century. And he was a really good quarterback. What I would worry about is like the weapons he had on offense and the way they ran their offense. If they would have done well against this team, yeah, I don't. I mean, know they if... pr- I still think they would have won. Like spoiler, alert, yes, but I, I don't know if it would have been as, you know, like like going through like their schedule. Like they, they didn't. I don't. Let me see here. 
you have a loss at LSU. You have remember they they both their losses were on the road, and the other one the other ones they, like their wins against ranked teams were at home. They did lose a game forty four to eleven to Florida. Exactly, and the fact that they allowed forty four points to that Florida team is concerning. A little bit, a little bit. What wouldn't have fared well against the Irish? Okay, hear me out. I'm not crazy when I say this. I have a point. I promise I have a point. Dare I say that Jadavian Clowney might not have gone off in this game. Okay, I don't know about that. You know who Notre Dame's left tackle was? Oh, yeah. Zach Martin. What has Zach Martin done, you ask? Well, besides the fact that he was an All-American that year, and he was a first-round pick in 2014, whatever, Clowney's handled guys like that. He's made a Pro Bowl every single year he's been in the NFL since then. He's made six he's straight like, Pro Bowls since he's been in the league. He's like, been incredible for Dallas. And also, like, like Notre Dame flat-out just pumps out, like, linemen. Like, just all-pro linemen left and right. I don't know, I don't know what Nelson. happened. Yeah. So, I say that because... We all remember what happened in the Outback Bowl and how that, for many people in South Carolina Rick fans, obviously, and SEC fans, yeah, I mean, he killed a guy on live television. It was amazing. Mike Tirico flipped out. We all freaked out. It was incredible. Watching it live, it's one of the few things that I look back on. I'm like, I still can't believe that happened. I yeah. saw a guy lose his head. That's amazing. <laughs> South Carolina was a different team with him dominating. What we tend to forget about that game is Taylor Luan, who also featured first-round pick, actually played pretty well against Clowney that game. Like, Clowney had the play, but that play actually wasn't even necessarily Taylor Lewan's fault. It was supposed to be the backside block was supposed to come from the guard, and he was supposed to double-team with him. It was miscommunication, whatever. That's all Clowney needs a lot of the time. It's yeah. just one play, one miscommunication, and boom, that's what he can do if you give him out of steam. So I say that because I don't think Clowney threw around a bunch of future all-pro guys future first round talent guys like ragdolls in the way that we tend to remember him because he was a physical freak in every yeah. sense of the word nobody's taking that away from him but south carolina fans will be the first one to tell you that dude disappeared at times and yeah. if he okay. wasn't dominating in games yeah they had moments where you know what they weren't the same and when he was they obviously were at their best so is it crazy crazy to think that you know what Zach Martin, who has done nothing since then but make All-America teams and make Pro Bowls and go to be named All-Pro four times in the NFL, is it crazy to think that he wouldn't have let Jadavion Clowney take over a football game? I don't think so. Yeah, but I don't think they would have. That's that. That's not what that entire team was built around to win games. No, it's not. No, it's not. No. You're absolutely like, right. If you're, you're able to win right. games by platooning, or having like a two quarterback system with Dylan Thompson and Connor Shaw, and, and I'm not taking anything away from those guys because they were really good quarterbacks. Like, and gritty. I hate to use that word, but like, just use like, it. needed a yard. They were getting the yard. Um, I, I just, I don't think it would have mattered. I, I just don't think it would have mattered. I mean, I don't know how they gave up 44 points to Florida, and they did not play well on the road. I, I don't think it would have mattered. Okay, fair. They were people forget. Uh, the clowny the clowny play was followed by the game winning touchdown with 10 seconds left in that game a 33 yard touchdown pass that Thompson had to to Bruce Ellington to win that game which they're, they're very close to losing to a Michigan team that I thought was relatively average that year you as a Bama fan would remember that that he Michigan came in team at number 8 in the country and got they shouldn't have been. everybody knew they shouldn't have been. to him it's yeah. ridiculous all right let's talk florida the the gators what would have worked well for them against notre dame that defense Coaching. was 
<laughs> kind of, in a way. Uh, that defense was so battle-tested. It really was. Will Muschamp's best defense ever, not even close. Uh, they had beaten three top 10 teams, four top 25 teams. The top 10 teams that they beat, they averaged 15, or not, not top 10 teams that they beat, top 10 teams that they faced, averaged 15 points a game against them. That did not include going on the road to Texas A&M and beating Johnny Manziel early in the season right. in the SEC opener. The lone loss, obviously, was the Georgia debacle, a game in which they almost won, despite the fact that they turned the ball over six times and Jordan Reed fumbled on the five-yard line. Oh, tough. That defense was loaded, man. Yeah. Matty Lillum, Jonathan Bostic, Dante Fowler, Sheree Floyd, Dominique Easley, all these guys. I mean, five players drafted in tw- from the 2012 defense. Uh, they had three that were drafted the year after that as well. Before the Louisville game, they only allowed three teams to hit 20 points. Florida State only got to 21 points because EJ right. Manuel had a garbage time touchdown run as time expired in that game that they are they, they still won by two scores. And then Louisville happened, and they scored 24 points in the first 27 minutes. They also killed Teddy Bridgewater, so that was a positive. Like, I, I like Teddy Bridgewater. I'm just saying that... It is pouring over here. Um, that uh, that game, I mean, I don't know. It, things escalated quickly, yes, but they, they did have that one highlight. This this team is the one I would be concerned about the most because I, there's just – I don't trust Will Muschamp at all. I just I just don't, and I hate to say that. I just I, In a big game like this, I, I don't think it would have gone well. Hmm. Okay. And – to be fair, I mean, they had their moments this year. The aforementioned blowout win against South Carolina was obviously really important, beating LSU, and, and very important in, in shaping how we talk about this Florida team. But they're a team that didn't get to the SEC championship, obviously, because Georgia blocked that path. And then they didn't show up necessarily for – they didn't necessarily show up for the Sugar Bowl in the way that many thought that they could have. Now, I'm not saying that's entirely because, oh, you don't get to play for – Right, uh, SEC championship, national championship, but let's let's call it what it is. Louisville showed up and, and won that game fair and square and beat South Carolina. They were more ready to go for that one. Florida. Yes. Did I say Georgia? You said South Carolina. Oh, gosh. Are Jesus. you paying attention? I'm not. I'm apparently not. This is what happens when we talk about so many different SEC teams. What wouldn't have fared well against the Irish? Uh, you're alluding to it. Jeff Driscoll against that defense, against that Notre Dame defense where, okay, I understand Jeff Driscoll is a former five-star kid. Everybody wanted him to be. Everybody wanted him to be the heir apparent to Tebow. And there was a college yeah. game day segment before that game against South Carolina where Gene Wojcikowski's like, you know, like they're not calling him the next Tim Tebow, but can he be the next great Florida quarterback like Tebow? And it was like, okay, we 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 know what's going on here. They were trying to make it a thing so badly. And by season's yeah. end, you look you look up and you're like, oh, crap. In nearly half the games that he played as a starter, six of those 13 games, he failed to pass for 115 yards. How? He was held under 100 four different times. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, he was not the guy that was going to lead you to a two-score comeback victory. How do we know that? Because he didn't get a two-score deficit until that Louisville game. Yeah. I mean, that's that's amazing to think about in itself. Um, the games that he was really forced to throw late, Georgia, Louisville, 
Both of those, because people forget he was injured against Louisiana Lafayette, the game that had the wild, wild ending. Um, but he had two interceptions in both of those games. So right. if Florida's forced to run, the issue is like, all right, well, Notre Dame had the number 11 run defense in the country, and you feel all right about Mike Gillisley, and, and then you also have Matt Jones, who's a freshman at the time. Can they be the Yeldon and Lacey? I don't know. Notre Dame had allowed the fewest rushing touchdowns per game of anyone in the country. I don't know how Florida would have sustained offense, but yeah. it would have been a very low-scoring game no matter what what side it would have gone to. I I think you're. I mean, I think you're you're spot on. Like, I, would they have been able to sustain offense or get enough offense early on, like we saw in the national championship, to put them away? And I, I just don't know if that would have happened. They were super similar, though. If you actually look at Florida compared to Notre Dame that year, really, really similar in terms of their identity. Yeah. Strong, really strong defenses who had first-year starting quarterbacks, dual-threat guys. Notre Dame has Golson. Florida has Driscoll. And mm. they would much rather win games 17-10 to 10 than 34-31 right. or something like that. And they were very, very much concerned about leaving the game up to their quarterback to go win it at the end and they had both of those teams had moments where they played down to their competition and you're like man is this a top five team or is is this you know even a bowl team like this is just ugly but i I will say this that that team winning 11 games and going 11 and one and finishing like they, they ended the regular season or going into bowl season ranked third in the country i you, that is the most forgettable 11-win team right? I've ever... Yes. I, if you, like, I hate, okay. Sorry, Florida fans. If you were asked in Stump Marler to name all of the SEC's 11-win teams of the 2010s, I bet that's one of the... That might be the last team that you name. I So I know it now because we've talked about it so many times. It yeah. surprised me so many times. But yes, you're 1,000% right. Man. LSU, who finished the year number 14, was coming off of that incredible season in which it didn't necessarily end so well, but came into the year number three in the country, what would have fared well against the Irish? I would tend to say, watching that national championship and watching what Amari Cooper did to the Irish, I would say having a couple of elite NFL-ready receivers who could stretch the field, um, and Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry, I'd say that would be pretty beneficial if you want to try and hopefully follow the Amari Cooper plan of, look, we have an elite guy on the outside. We have two elite guys on the outside. Yeah. They can't cover them if we make them guard the entire field. Notre Dame had its issues with covering those NFL-ready receivers. If there yeah. was an issue with this defense this year that kind of followed them throughout the season, it was that. We saw Robert Woods, the USC receiver, who was picked in the second round. Seven catches, 92 yards, and a touchdown. The only receivers who were picked in the first four rounds of the 2013 draft that Notre Dame faced, and I think this is 2013 and 2014, actually, besides you know Amari, who eventually drafted um, in 2015. Marquise Lee had five catches for 75 yards. The Oklahoma game, we tend to forget about this because Notre Dame won that game handily. I mean, it wasn't close. Right. Jalen Saunders in that game, 15 catches for 181 yards in a loss. Why did Notre Dame struggle to cover these elite NFL-ready receivers? They didn't have a defensive back picked in the first five rounds of the 2013 or 2014 NFL drafts. Makes sense. Yeah, and, you know, like, looking back at what they were able to do on offense, 
their only offense I remember going into that game was was really Tyler Eifert at, at tight end. Like that's that was pretty much their only like what would be a potential mismatch for SEC teams. And I remember what ended up having the national championship was they just they just put uh, was D Milner on him in man the entire time. And, and D Milner at the time was I think an All American and a first round draft pick like really good in college. We know what happened in the NFL. But if you're telling me that I don't know somebody like Georgia. Uh, Florida, the guys we talked about earlier, or LSU, didn't have a guy that could match up with him. I, I, I think that the mismatch on LSU's offense would not even be the biggest mismatch. It'd be what they would do on defense. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. I mean, that's that's a fair point because they they did not have those guys on the outside. They just mm. didn't. I mean, because what year did what year did Golden Tate graduate? Golden could, Tate. I don't remember. Oh, Golden Tate was a, a darn good college player, but I think he mm. was a little bit later, if I'm not mistaken, because he was drafted, yeah, or no, a little bit earlier, rather. Yeah, he was drafted in 2010. So, yeah, they just did not necessarily have those guys at the receiver position where that would have been, you know, I, I think a, a significant difference in a game like that against LSU. But the thing that would have been a struggle against the Irish for LSU is the offense's unwillingness to open it up. Yeah. We've talked about this a lot, and there's a reason why LSU went out in 2013 and paid Cam Cameron all that money, and that was such a, a big storyline of what Zach Bettenberger was doing in the 2013 season with those receivers who really didn't truly take off until 2013. If LSU plays that game in a phone booth, they probably lose. They probably lose yeah. because far too many times, I think that's, I mean, we, we saw that far too many times, that's what they did. We saw that against Clemson, where you have a month to prepare for this. And that's that's a matchup where you know what you got to say if we got a month to prepare, I'm doing whatever I can to try and get Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. touches. And I know that's easier to yeah. say now than it is then. But how do you have a month to prepare for a game and only get those guys seven touches? Meanwhile, you got hey, DeAndre yeah. Hopkins on the other on the other sideline putting up 200 yards in that game, and an offense that's actually willing to stretch the field. That's tough to look at. Yeah, this, you know, like again, the coaching matchup. Les Miles is. By all means, a, a national championship winning coach. I, I would worry about how he would game plan for any game, to be honest, but especially one like that. They had the number 94 passing attack in college football with those two receivers on the outside. That's impossible. I, Zach Mettenberger didn't have 300 passing yards in a game in 2012. They acted like they, 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 the problem was they acted like they had this dominant ground game, which they had three NFL ready backs. They had Jeremy Hill, Alfred Blue, and Spencer Ware, and they had the number 51 rushing attack in the country. To me, I look at all that talent, and I I, I say that just screams predictability. And we've watched old LSU games, so we know this to be true. In LSU's losses, very easy common denominator. If they weren't going to be able to run the ball, yeah, it was awfully tough for LSU to win a football game. 2.8 yards per carry against Bama, 1.7 yards per carry in the loss against Florida, and then they were held to under 100 rushing yards in that bowl game against Clemson. Now, I don't know that LSU would have been able to really maximize the ability of of Beckham and Landry in a game like that when you saw what Cooper did, and it was great. Like What what Bama decided to do where they're like, we're going to put them on drags, we're going to make them cover the entire field and for whatever reason look back on it Notre Dame just kind of forgot about Amari Cooper yeah pretty pathetic like I don't know how how that happens yeah trying to cover two guys who physically I mean not that far behind Amari Cooper I I think that's fair right yeah I would agree with that I mean like the the issue also with LSU is you look at like that schedule I mean they 
they put up six points against Florida. And I know Florida had a great defense, but it's like it's six points. How does that happen? Yeah. How does that happen? They were, they were due for an offensive makeover a year before this, and unfortunately, they're a little bit too set in their ways. Les Miles, we've talked, we've praised him before. Yeah. Uh, arguably the second best coach of the SEC of the 21st century, second or third. And his idea of creativity wasn't spreading the offense out. It was fake field goals, onside kicks, and going yeah. forward on fourth down. That was it. All right. The worst take that you can have about this debate. This is a little bit of a surprise. Okay. The Irish shouldn't have been allowed to play for a national title. Oh, who has that? I've heard that. And okay. I, I've seen that in places because we use the 42-14 final result to say, oh, well, obviously other teams would have put up a better game. Here's, here's the problem. You can say that Alabama exposed them because they did. You can say that there's no way that Alabama should have only had three of those 59 first-place votes in the AP poll. That's absurd. But they still deserve to be there. And here's why. We talked about the one win against top 14 teams in the AP poll. They beat nine bowl teams that year. And that doesn't include wow. beating a seven-win Miami team who was on probation and had a bowl Like a drone. Yeah. So, like, they beat some some really solid teams. Obviously, like, the Stanford win aged really well. Eventual Rose Bowl winner that year. Going on the road and, and styming that Oklahoma defense, oh, that Oklahoma offense in Norman letting up 15 rushing yards to that Oklahoma team. And also, by the way, think about this. Oklahoma didn't have a touchdown on its home field for 50 minutes against Notre Dame. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so here's the other thing. Notre Dame is 12-0. They didn't have a conference championship to play for. Here are all those things. What was the competition? Let's go through it. One loss, Oregon. Mm -hmm. Uh, They lost to the Stanford team that Notre Dame beat. They also didn't play for a conference title. At the time, Oregon State was their lone win against a top 15 team. All right. Kind of tough to say that. One loss, Florida. Also, didn't have a conference title to play for. If you're going to hate on Notre Dame for what happened against Pitt and BYU, what about Florida's late rally against Louisiana Lafayette? What about Florida winning by 13 against Bowling Green in the opener? What about only scoring 23 points against an FCS team? Yeah, but they also... Like, they beat LSU. They beat South Carolina. Don't get me wrong. I, I get what you're saying. And, and, and I, I totally agree. I, I just think my whole argument with this is, and I hate to be, like, that SEC, like, you know, like, beat my chest homer, when they were faced with the best competition in the country from this league, this is what happened. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think, and if I think all those – you bring up all those those teams that, that were they were good. They were good teams. But, like – did they have the same kind of talent as as a, a Georgia or uh, did did any of those teams have you know uh, nine defensive players drafted like Georgia did or like probably not I think there's just so such a wealth of talent from teams in the SEC that I don't think it would have gone well. Fair, two lost Georgia. Uh, take that. <laughs> we we knew that Georgia wasn't going to be put against Alabama in the BCS national championship because we just saw that play out in Atlanta. Um, also, and this probably goes for Florida and Georgia and a and People would have just quit college football if they had another All-SEC National Championship. Yeah, that would not have um, gone over well. That would not have gone over well at all, um, especially when there was an undefeated team sitting there. One loss, Kansas State. I think this is the team that people kind of look at with Colin mm-hmm. Klein, and they're a little bit curious about. But what they might forget is that uh, Kansas State was two weeks removed from losing 52-24 to to an unranked Baylor team. Baylor. And their only win against a team inside the top 15 
A five-point win at Oklahoma, who Notre Dame beat by 17 points. Right. So you're starting to see here, it's not like there were six, seven teams who should have been in ahead of Notre Dame or anything like that. You can say they weren't talented. They weren't talented in the same way that an Alabama or Georgia or a and whatever. But to say that they shouldn't have been there altogether, yeah. in my opinion, I think it's a bad take. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't even know that was a take. So I wouldn't agree with that. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. The thing that I didn't know slash forgot about until researching this, um, how big that Oklahoma win was for, for Notre Dame. Yeah. And, and what that really, what was sandwiched around that specific win is amazing to think about. Where you're a week removed from nearly losing to BYU at home and... You know, look at look at so look at what's the two games before this and the two games after this for Notre Dame. The two games before this, you have the overtime win against Stanford, and then the three game the three point win against BYU, where you have to score a fourth quarter touchdown to beat BYU at home. Two games after Oklahoma, you have the triple overtime win against Pitt, a team that won six games and was four and four at the time. You only scored twenty one points against two and ten Boston College. Sandwiched in between all of that though, is this game at Oklahoma where you're an 11-and-a-half-point dog. That game is in late October. Yeah. As much as we talk about how everybody kind of fell in love with Notre Dame and they became such a popular storyline, that was supposed to be the end of it. It was supposed to end right there in Norman. I didn't remember that game. 11-and-a-half-point favorite, and all Notre Dame did was flip that result by, I mean, that's a 28-point swing that we're talking about. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, and I, I remember, like, you know, once it started to catch steam... This was a this was a big game. This, I think it was like a primetime game on on ABC, right? I think it was a primetime game on E yeah ESPN or ABC, but it wasn't on NBC. Obviously, right, it was, it was right. in Oklahoma. Yeah, um, very surprising. Very good win for them. Thing I also forget, Mike Golick Jr. He was the center on this team. I always forget that just because um, I, I think of him as much older than I am, but he's my year in school. I just right. think Mike. I think Mike Golick Jr. looks a lot older than me. I don't know. Oh wow! What a, is that fair? That's rude. I don't, I don't know. It's really he's got the, he's, yeah, yeah, he's got the he's balding and stuff. I think he just looks what older. What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> I think he's just older than me. I don't know. I've always looked at him in that like because he's you know he's credit to him because he's he's done a fabulous job with his yeah. career, being able to build up and and not just necessarily rely on oh hey my dad hosts a, a nationally syndicated right. radio show because he's Probably he's done a good job at making job, it. Yes. Yeah, it helps helps to get the job for sure. But I think Michael Junior's done a done a done a fine yeah. job. I agree with that. All right, we have gotten to the key part of this discussion, and I have a guess where you might stand on some of these, but do you want to go through each of these teams and say who you think would have beaten Notre Dame? Yes, I do. Um, Alabama, Texas A&M. Uh, are you sure? You sure about Bama? Yes, I'm positive on that one. Okay. Texas A&M. LSU, I'm sorry, Texas A&M, Georgia, for sure. Those three, for sure. I agree. And then I would also throw in LSU because of the defense. And I I would put in South Carolina over Florida. Hmm. I, I just, I don't trust Florida's, I just don't trust Will Muschamp. I, I still think Florida would have beaten them, but it would have been the worst national, it would have been worse than 9-6 game. It would It would have been... Like a, it would have been like three to two, or or like a like a baseball game. It would have been like, well, you know, they won seven to five. Like, how the hell did they get those two points? Wait a minute. So, so. is your is your final answer all five? five? Yes. 
Wait, so including Bama, six? Yes. So half, not a, the, half the league. Nearly. Oh, nearly not half a, the league. Not a single one of them. I would say, maybe, you know, honestly, Florida is the only one that I would, you know what, I'll, I'll take Florida out, but every other team I think would have beaten them. Okay, so final number, yeah. final number is five. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I think that I have a tough time, I, like I said, I, with, with Georgia and A&M, those are the two that I look at and think, yeah, I, I think they would have won by, by double digits. I had yeah. Georgia 35, Notre Dame 21, in a game that, yes, I have my concerns about Aaron Murray getting psyched mm-hmm. for that, but you also got to remember Todd Gurley, Keith Marshall. You know what? You can rely on those guys. Bama showed showed us against Notre Dame. When you got a solid one-two punch at tailback and you, you know what you're doing on that side of the ball, you should be fine. And right. I think they would have been able to have at least some success running the ball. They, they were darn good as a duo at the end of that 2012 season, too. We're in the bowl game against Nebraska. They combined for over 200 yards, had a couple scores. They were great when healthy together. So, yes, I do think that Georgia would have gotten ahead. They would have been able to pin their ears back in that game, and they would have been able to, to win that game somewhat comfortably. Yeah. A&M, I think, would have been lopsided. I really, really do. Without I think doubt. that would have been... I, I think that Manziel, even if he had had that increased attention going into that game, and if Notre Dame benefits a little bit more from from not having all the attention on Manti Teo, I still think that that, that offense and what it was doing at the end of the season was special. And even yeah. if you don't have Cliff Kingsbury on the sidelines, man, I just think that that defense was, was, was not going to be able to hold up with somebody of Manziel's caliber, where you had so many different guys who could stretch the field, and Ryan Swope and Mike Evans and this... This AM team that just looked like it could do no wrong in the latter half of the season. So completely agree. Yeah, I, I have AM winning that forty-five to seventeen. I think it would have. Been I honestly off. think that AM would have beaten them worse than Bama did. Really? Okay. I have, I, have, I have the same exact margin of victory. It might not have been like the, they wouldn't have pulled away as as the same in the same way, but like mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it would have ended up being the like about the same. It gets tricky everywhere else. I think all three of the other games. I look at, and I, I'm thinking one score close games. I really do. I think that Florida is, is tough for all the reasons that you mentioned because mm-hmm. the concerns are, are there. They are absolutely there. And I have no idea how that's going to look if Florida's down a touchdown late and they need Jeff Driscoll to have a two-minute drive at the end against the number two, I guess at the time, number one defense in the country. Right. That's a tough thing to have to sit there and predict. But... I'd give Florida the edge to win that game 14-13 to 13 because I think they would be able to get a little bit, just a little bit going with that one-two punch that they had at tailback if they were willing to rely on Matt Jones as well, the freshman who had shown promise that year, and Mike Gillisley as well. So I think that Florida could have found a way to win that game. But I think LSU and South Carolina lose nail biters. I think really? they lose really, really close games. The LSU thing, I just keep coming back to how frustrating it would be to watch them not willing to stretch the field and do all the things capable with with those athletes on the outside to really use that to their advantage. Because what do we talk about Notre Dame? Once once you once a team forced them to really really stretch the field and use all of their you know use their linebackers to be able to run sideline to sideline and cover you know NFL ready guys and and to be able to try and tackle those guys in space, it was difficult. And I right. can't trust LSU to do that at that time. Maybe it's different in 2013 in a weird way. 
And even though that LSU team in 2012 was better, um, I, I just think that they, they still would have had some of those issues. And I, I think it would have been low scoring, but I had Notre Dame winning that 21-17. to 17. South Carolina, I went back and forth. I really, really did. And, man, if you, if you ask me... T- to pick them 10 games, uh, maybe maybe they split five and five. I, I, I really think that'd be possible. Yeah. But it's not just the Zach Martin thing um, that I brought up about, you know, kind of keeping Clowney at bay. I think if they have Lattimore, they win. I think if, right. they, if they have that kind of balance, but I think against Notre Dame, you still had to have balance. And Bama had that balance in the national championship. And McCarron made some big time throws in that game as well. And, you know, the running duo was was dominant, of course, as we remember with Yeldon and Lacey. But I still think that you have to have more balance than what they would have been able to have. And right. so if you're just relying on Connor Shaw or Dylan Thompson to be your source of running against Notre Dame, right. I don't think that's quite as successful. So I think that game would have gone down to the wire, but I think Notre Dame would have found a way to win 24-21. to 21. So I guess my final answer, I still would have had four SEC teams beating Notre Dame. I mean, that's yeah. still, I mean, I that's was, still I was, I just, I, and maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Like, I, I could see there are three teams, including obviously Bama, that would have, it, it wouldn't have been, like, hands down. Like, just the A&M thing, Georgia. Yeah. I, honestly, I think Georgia would have put up the same amount, like, not maybe 42 to 14, but it wouldn't have been close. I mean, like you said, like, it would, it would have been that defense and that offense with Todd Gurley. Like, you saw what Eddie Lacy did to him. Imagine Todd Gurley, what he would do to that defense. I just those three teams would blow them out. I I would expect. I mean, you're talking about Steve Spurrier versus Brian Kelly. I I love that matchup with South Carolina. I, I absolutely love that matchup. If what that Spurrier versus Muschamp didn't work out that year. So what? I mean, I'm just I'm just saying, like you know, four yeah. four to eleven happened. You think if you like, gave Steve Spurrier forty days to prepare for Brian Kelly <laughs> defense, they wouldn't have done something? <laughs> I mean, I, I just. I, I, he would have Will Muschamp. He he probably could have figured out long division and how to beat that team in the in the forty days. Maybe I, I don't think that defense was as bad as as you're building them up to be because it wasn't just tail. It wasn't just tail. They were good but, in the front seven. They, they had, were good, but they they had Stefan Tuitt and all, I I told you they didn't. Yeah, but they didn't play any top offenses to compare to anything. I, Oklahoma was the top offense. Was the the offense that showed all right? Like hey, they're doing this in a road atmosphere. I know the Oklahoma offense had some issues. It wasn't nearly as good as what we came to expect from Lincoln Riley yeah. in the later part of the decade. But the defense was still good. It was still it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad defense by any stretch of the imagination. You don't play that many capable Power Five teams without having some sort of a clue. And I've gone too too long without saying this, but Bob Diaco was the defensive coordinator of that defense. And if you don't know who that is, you need to look up the civil conflict. Because it is incredible. The long battle of UConn versus UCF and the manufactured rivalry. What? Oh, yeah. You've never gone down that rabbit hole? It's fascinating. I have not. Yeah. As soon as you get off this, you need to look up civil conflict. It's, it's great stuff. Okay. But that Notre Dame defense, we think of it, we think of Teo as the, as the representation of it, right? Yeah. And he was exposed in the national championship, so therefore this Notre Dame defense was, was bad. Bama was going to score that many points with a month to prepare against a lot of teams. I really, sure. really believe that. And especially especially having that little number two right next to them. Right next to them. I we don't give, think that really mattered. 
I think you give Saban that much time and you tell oh, him yeah. that he's not supposed to win a game. And I'm not saying everybody said that because there are plenty of people who picked Bama to win that national championship. But I just tend to think that if I'm betting on Bama to put up 35 points in a game of that caliber, I'm, I'm probably going to take the over. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I think the, the whole number two thing that you brought up, like using that as, as motivation, I think that would have factored in a lot more so with the other teams we're talking about here. Mm, okay. I mean, you know, like Florida, Florida might be the only team on here that would not have won. And I, I understand the struggles you're talking about that LSU offense. That makes absolutely no sense. They were 94th in the country in passing offense with that much talent. I just, I still stand by the fact that Les Miles have won two national championships. That defense was legit. I mean, sure. they were they were a really good defense. I'm trying to think. They beat three ranked teams throughout the season. They had the number 12 scoring defense and the number four. Uh, oh, that can't be right. Oh, I, I wrote this on the wrong line. They had the number 12 scoring defense uh, in the country. I, I just don't think – I mean, if you had to play 60 minutes of football against teams – like, and that's that's what people like Notre Dame, in my opinion, don't understand. Playing 60 minutes of football against teams that are that physical and that much more physical than you, and you haven't been exposed to that or used to it at all during the season. Like, I mean, what did, was Stanford – Stanford going to, like, with like all of their two and three stars, were they, were they going to be able to, like, beat them up? No. I mean, USC had – I think USC had a decent amount of talent on that team still, but sure. it had some elite recruiting classes. But Kiffin back in the they day, they beat him by nine points on the. Yeah, I mean, okay, great. Yeah, no, Fantastic. it's that's perfectly fair, and I'm and I'm not saying when I say that I think a team would have lost Notre Dame. I'm not saying that ten times out of ten Notre Dame beats them every single time. I'm right. saying given the circumstances, if I have to pick a score for for one specific game, yeah, that could happen, and maybe it would come down to a play here or there, and maybe LSU would look like this superior team in many ways, and then LSU could just all of a sudden, you get them in a red zone situation, and it's like, oh my gosh, why are we running the ball three straight times right. when it's, you know, when we when we need a touchdown, and we have to settle for a field goal. Like, little things like that, that I just keep coming back to with a team like LSU, or with a team like South Carolina, that... I think Notre Dame would have had at least some sort of advantage. It was not sure. by any stretch of the imagination the the team that it was built up to be, but it was still a successful college football team who beat a lot of quality opponents by season's end. Right. That's fair. All right. Do we lose any listeners today? Maybe. Maybe some. Do we have a Notre Dame following? I hope not. No, I don't think so. But here's my fear with this. We're going to get some sort of... Notre Dame, like an SB Nation Notre Dame site or something like that, who's going to pick this up and be like, look at the, look at this SEC podcast talking about how many teams would beat Notre Dame. Here's what they left out, left out, left out. I'm like, I guarantee you I brought up every single pro Notre Dame thing that would be made in some sort of aggregation article. So go ahead. Somebody, somebody will, uh, one Notre Dame fan in the world, mark my words, will make a comment about Notre Dame's record against Alabama all time after this. I will bet oh, you, you, you got you got to factor that in because people who are playing a game in 2012 certainly remember what happened in 1945. They do. You got to remember that. Notre Dame's the worst. I'll I'll tell you though, you like the fans and and the overrated stuff and the fact that they get the benefit of the doubt, all that. South Bend, the campus, campus is cool. Campus I mean, it is looks beautiful cool. in the fall. Campus is it's it's cool. It's a cool that place to be. Looks like it sucks. Uh, yeah, I mean the stadium itself is eh, it kind of is what it is, but it's 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 so it's such a throwback feeling when you're inside that stadium and you look around, it's just that it's that straight up bowl. And not to go all Rudy here and say this is the most beautiful thing these eyes have ever seen. Not it's... gonna say that. Not saying that, not saying that. Um that's Wrigley Field. Come on, what do you what do you Okay, think? that's fair. Um but there is there is a certain 
there is a certain piece of pageantry with Notre Dame that when you go there and you kind of see it and you look around, you're like, all right, even if you're the biggest hater in the world, you can admit it's pretty cool. And this is what right. college football is all about. Yeah, all I, right. I would definitely agree with that. I just, I'm saying, they listen, Notre Dame, if you want, if you want to not get hated on, it, it's like Bama with like when, when people want to talk about like their scheduling and how awful like the scheduling is, or like Georgia not winning a national championship. So Bama goes out and schedules like all these like future games. Georgia's like, I, in my opinion, knocking on the door of, of a national championship. If you don't want to hear all of that, you know, slander and that like trash talking about your team, about things that are true, then go out and change them. So if you if you show up to a national championship or I don't know the college football playoff and go play a Clemson team that it was I'm pretty sure like that was like a three point spread going into that game like it was supposed to be pretty close. Yeah. What happened to that? It was like thirty to three. I mean that that game was that game was over at halftime. I, I just you know you have to do something in big games something of note at some point instead of really, otherwise if you're going to have these 12, 12 and 0 seasons and then getting your ass kicked like like they're doing. It, that that's they deserve all that. That's basically like let UCF play in it. Other than them, if they're going to do Notre, that, I think Notre Dame is going to have a very very long time without a national championship. And I say yeah. that just because I think college football has has changed in a way that they haven't been willing to change with it. I think not joining a conference has hurt <laughs> in the long run. So stupid. I I really do, and, and I yeah. think that not necessarily getting. The same sort of, and I get that they get the NBC stage and all that stuff, but yeah. you know, not necessarily getting the same type of revenue that they could have been getting in the Big Ten or the ACC or you know, or the SEC, anything like that. Where I think that they would have been able to benefit from a recruiting standpoint more, and I still think it's it's a little bit di- the the quiet thing about Notre Dame that not everybody wants to talk about is that it's actually kind of difficult to recruit there. Yeah, and the academic standards are out of control. That's why Urban so, Meyer didn't go there. Yeah. Yeah, Urban Meyer doesn't want to have to work around all that stuff. So, it's, it's easier to do that at a place like Florida than it is at Notre Dame. That's just a fact. So you talk about this season, especially in 2012. Ever, not ever, was it? Yeah, it was Ever Golson, Ever right? Golson, the, the yeah. Quarterback. He was a true freshman. Had an outstanding season. Uh, he was, I think he was a, he was a redshirt freshman, if I'm not mistaken. Because he went to Florida State in 2012. Uh, no, actually, you know what? He had the one year where he missed the entire season. He might have been a true freshman. Okay. He was a first-year starter, regardless. He had a fantastic year, and people were already talking about him being like three or four years from now, he's going to be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. Yeah. And he, he, he looked the part. I mean, it's just like very strong-armed black quarterback that led Notre Dame to a 12-0 season as a freshman. Like, that's tough to do. You talked about the resume. I, I get, like, the numbers were all there. They were inflated as hell, but they were all there. But, I mean, that kid was kicked off the team like a year, like within the next year. No, 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 no. You have that. You have that wrong. He wasn't kicked off the team. He had a season-ending injury, and then he played the year after who that. Got, Are you thinking of Malik Zaire? No. Who got? Well, maybe. I actually, I guess. Who was the quarterback that got kicked off the team because he was he got caught for cheating? Hmm. Because he wasn't started. Tommy Reese. Wasn't Tommy Reese? No. I don't. Know. But regardless, all I'm trying to say is, you know, that that's the starting quarterback at one of the most prestigious universities in the entire country, and and obviously one of the, like the most probably the most notable college team in the entire country and he was told to leave because he because he broke their academic standards or their code of conduct are we sure that was ever colson i'm almost positive it was i could be wrong i definitely could be wrong but like i know for a fact they had a starting quarterback that was kicked out of school for something they they had to vacate all these wins in 2012 anyway connor yes they did they definitely did so technically i was talking about you know all these wins that they had against bowl teams and that doesn't even count so 
Um, yeah, you know what? Golson was, he was suspended for, for academic violation. Thank you. Sat out the entire 2013 season, but he played, he played after. Oh, so he, he just sat out for a year. But that's, I mean, I, I'll be honest, that doesn't happen at an SEC school. Yeah, it just ever. Doesn't. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> Good call on that. I don't know why I was, I was blanking on that, but you are, you're, you're 100% right about that. Um, all right. We came to the conclusion, I think the, the average between us is, you know, U6, yeah. me four. So like, eh, like five SEC teams would have beaten Notre Dame at least a third of the conference in 2012. Um, let us know what you think about this, kind of a different type of podcast for us in a way. I know we've talked about this a lot, but we have a different schedule for this week. I am actually mm-hmm. going on a quick little uh, vacation down to Dunedin. We're going to spend some time on the Gulf Coast. For a couple days so we are going to be recording um it just meant more that is going to be coming out this weekend but we are as of right now there are no plans for casual friday if i'm not mistaken there are not okay so do not freak out that's not showing up in your feed or anything like that you didn't miss an episode i'm just taking a very very needed vacation real <laughs> man so I uh, hope everybody is doing well, getting through all of this, continuing to wear a mask, all those things. I bought a Tampa Bay Bucks mask, old school Bucks, old school Bucks mask for the weekend. Because they look cool and they, they, were, they were selling them, they had all these different logos. I was like, I, I, I'm a sucker for the 90s logos, you know that. That's fair. Uh, but yes, we will be back on the normal schedule next week and look out for It Just Meant More. Which we can. So, Manti Teo, um, I just ghosted you. Bye. Oh. <laughs> you guys. Are- <laughs>